Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. It's May 9th, and today is National Butterscotch Brownie Day. <laughs> National Homefront Heroes Day. <laughs> and, of course, Rico, it's your favorite day. It's National Sleepover Day. That's right. Zozo's going to have a little slumber party tonight. It's also National Moscato Day for all the parents that have to deal with teenagers and sleepovers. It's also <laughs> National Alphabet Magnet Day because who doesn't love a good alphabet magnet? National Lost Sock Memorial Day. And, <laughs> and of course, just for Rico, it is Europe Day. Thank you all for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top-hand corner of your screen to find out where we live on the Internet. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Clubhouse. And if you are joining us in Clubhouse, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a comment on the story most recently presented. But kicking it off first, oh, yeah, we have the dope dad himself. That's right. It's Rico Lamite, who seems as though he's, like, trapped in the jungles in Uganda today. But judging by his background, yes. Yeah, you, you, you there. yeah that's you right. Know, you know about the jungles in Uganda? 100% we broadcasted live from there one day. Thanks <laughs> I'm a Carling. Thanks to Starling. I'm a Carling. European. Europe, European. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's the dope dad himself, Rico Lamit. Thank you, Jason. Is that, that like one, the syndica one, syndicated that, applause? That, that, that one sounds more um, sounds more like rain falling on a trailer park roof. Hey, man. It's always sunny somewhere. All right, but... um. <clears throat> My story is, uh, is, is, is a little bit of a honoring of 45 years ago. 45 years ago, a tenacious glaucoma patient named Robert Randall. So 45 years ago, yesterday, Robert Randall made history as the first person in the U.S. under prohibition to gain access to legal cannabis. His cannabis was supplied, grown, processed, and delivered by the federal government itself. Yesterday, Robert's widow, Alice O'Leary Randall's marking um, the anniversary by releasing a digitized factual record of the case, preserving his legacy along with the work and sacrifices of early activists who laid the foundation of what we 
all are a part of today, one way or another, cannabis legalization movement. Two years prior to the settlement, after being charged with unlawful cannabis possession, a 28-year-old Randall successfully fought the case and convinced a superior court judge his cannabis use constituted a medical necessity, a common law defense protecting him from prosecution. Randall argued cannabis offered treatment for his glaucoma that could potentially pre uh, preserve his sight that other federal approved pharmaceuticals could not. The judge agreed and history was made. Per the article, the landmark 1976 ruling from the Superior Court of the District of Columbia gave advocates one of the first and most meaningful victories in the history of federal government's illegal and racist war on drugs, paving the path for future reforms, recognizing cannabis's therapeutic benefits and the importance of preserving civil liberties for patients seeking the same. Randall's winning streak continued with a petition of the federal government for legal access to the Schedule I plant, which made the government legally bound to provide a supply of medical cannabis, which may have been the world's first iteration of what we call pre-rolls. Hundreds of joints were rolled in, stand in standardized units and delivered to him in a large tin. Later, he, he was joined by other patients brought into the FDA's compassionate investigational new drug, the IND program, um, and his fight continued. The program is now discontinued, as we all know. But for the rest of his days, Randall committed to affecting comprehensive change for all seeking cannabis as an alternative treatment option. Though his name may not be as widely known today as some of the other historical activists and advocates in our lane, I think it's safe to say his fight for access to safe meds remains at the heart of what we all do today, no matter what our political affiliations or leanings may be. Cannabis is medicine, period. His outspoken activism became a thorn in the side of Jimmy Carter's federal government, earning him a threat by drug advisor Peter Bourne in 1977, where the government official told Randall that publicity in your case has forced a consideration of us tightening your supplies. Randall ignored the message and kept pushing. I love this story, man. Uh, per the article, today, Alice, or excuse me, yesterday, uh, Alice O'Leary Randall, a professor at Pacific College of Health and Science, does not want that legacy to fade, not just because it represents a fascinating chapter in this decades-long reform movement, but, um, but because this, she subscribes to the old adage that those who don't know the past are condemned to repeat it. In an interview Friday with Marijuana Moment, she said this, I see a lot of people in the marijuana issue now that are, you know, they're a little bit cocky. They think it's solved. It's still Schedule One, and we still have people who are being denied medical cannabis or medical access to cannabis. She said the other reason she decided to curate this online library is because so many people in this issue, not just her husband, but she can name dozens of other patients between 1976 and 1995 who literally gave the last good days of their lives trying to get people to understand that this drug should be available legally through prescription so that they could access it just like any other drug. It's really important to remember those people. A lot of those big bucks that are being made on the backs of those people. Asked what she thought that her husband would think about the marijuana policy landscape that's evolved in the two decades since he's passed, Randall said this. She said that he, she thinks that he would be torn. On the other hand, he'd be thrilled that there are literally millions of people in this country who are getting their uh, certificates for medical need and being able to go to the dispensary and the choice of product is absolutely wonderful. 
On the other hand, he'd be really angry about the adult use situation. It's not that her or Randall or her late husband opposed legalizing for adults outside the medical context, but she said that he'd be upset to see the consolidation of medical and recreational markets with policies being driven by profit and the needs and not the needs of patients and consumers. There's a lot to unpack there and a, and a lot that we all could learn. Um, it really puts into perspective all the things that we care and worry about today in the industry compared to what really matters. As a person who's personally benefited greatly from both medical and adult use consumption, I'm grateful for the sacrifices that Bob Randall made. And I can't wait to check out Alice's digital library. They have a link to it in the article. Um, if you haven't already checked out the full interview, I highly recommend it. Uh, Alice is an absolute gem and preserving the stories of yesterday that give insight to what's really going on today are essential for all of us to remain hopeful about tomorrow. I'm Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street for Hyatt 9 News. Love to hear what the rest of you guys think about this one. I, go ahead, Nicole. I see it. <laughs> I, I, it's hard for me to find a state that has actually done their patients right. You know, Maine has a pretty good program um, to follow, but if it's not put into legislation that the medical program has to stay focused on research, um, that's where I've seen it being able to thrive. Like you cannot leave these medical patients behind and nobody has done a good job of it. I mean, we're looking very closely at Hawaii being medical for 20 years now and hoping that they do it right by their patients, um, when they go into adult use, because that's coming. Um, it's inevitable, but it's it's sad. It really is because the research and science behind it gets left behind. And it's a perfect opportunity to do the research by making sure the patients are taken care of, making sure they have access to clean, safe medicine um, and, and keeping up with the data as they're using it and, and what is happening. Um, so, I'm you know, I'm with her. It's like, what do you do? Capitalism. Right. I'm, yep. I'm yep. with her. Nicole, what would you change to make, uh, you know, this inclusive you know, patient that, you know, inclusive. Oh, well, you would, you, what do you, like what do you I, think that's not being done right? Oh, well, so many things. So, so first of all, um, you have to make sure that patients have access to medicine. So uh, there should be more donation programs. Nobody should be throwing away cannabis. There should be some way of tracking what they're using, making sure they have access to, to, to terpene testing, making sure they have access to understanding what it is that they're exactly using and helping them to find what works for them. So it's going to require research. It's going to require doctors and research scientists creating programs that can help patients keep up, up and keep track of the medicine that they're using and what the results are. Like actually get them into tests and labs and blood work done. Like it, there, there needs needs to be more effort put into researching this plant. And it is a perfect opportunity to do it with patients in every state, because every state that has gone adult use had a medical program first. Right. And so right. don't let that medical program fall behind. Right. When you go to adult use, you give special privileges and special access to patients. If they're a registered patient, they should have access to research. You know, what Dr. Talleyrand is doing is something that he's, you know, funding himself, but every state should have that type of program in place um, and, and really tapping into the scientists and researchers that know how to do it, not legislators, uh, and, and, and making sure that patients have access to make sure they're sharing their information with that, um, with, with that mass that is, that is, you know, that is making sure that the information is put into the right white research papers and, and, the, and, the, and the truth is coming out about this plant. 
Oh, my idealistic friends. Oh, too, too bad the cannabis industry will not pay as much as the pharmaceutical industry for the research. And that's the problem. You know, if we have uh, as much effort into, into some of these things, it's because of money. When you have uh, clinicians at these universities like Anschutz developing immunosuppression technology to sell that technology to a big firm that's going to pay big bucks or donate big bucks, that's what they're looking for. Unfortunately, the only way to really uh, give people the right like benefit medically is to just make products that work for them and for well, us to support them. You're talking about funding? How about all I'm, the money? No, 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 no. Not funding, just funding. But like the reason why it's not a thing, the reason why well, these, these universities or these these like other no, these, so the taxes that cannabis. adult use market is generating needs to be going towards that research. Like that's who needs to be funding it. The, the taxes from adult use. So you're saying it shouldn't be going into general funds, but but that's not but but that's like a I mean you know we have to combat little kids uh, learning about cannabis in schools. That's what they're using the money for, and like you know keeping that's it off not the street. They're using the money for oh, a lot of the money. A lot of the money in Colorado. That's what the first thing they started right. using the money for yeah, was to fund yeah. programs to take to the schools to tell kids not to smoke weed. Well, and, and in Nevada, it's for the homeless problem. So it go, it varies. But what I'm saying is there needs to be a pathway for that funding to go towards making sure and ensuring that the medical program has the resources that it needs. So so what you're yes. really talking about is unwinding the bullshit bureaucracy in, le in the legislature. That sounds like it's going to happen real fast, Nicole. <laughs> I I am I'm an optimistic. Um, and, you know, I, I, I will continue on uh, to advocate and lobby for those sensible sensible policy. You know, we we have a chance with Hawaii. Let's see what happens. But it's it, right. it's about people showing up. Like the legislation that they tried to pass in Hawaii this last session didn't get passed. That tried to shut down these co-ops because the people spoke up in Hawaii. They were like, Nah, we're not having this. And so that's why that legislation didn't pass. People have to show up and they have to let their voices be heard. Uh, yeah. you know, cooperatives in Hawaii worked with Maine's legislative body to create their program there and trying to preserve their medical program in, in Maine. No, of course, I like at the fundamental level, I agree. But it's like uh, someone said, you know, what we use that money for is to fund more enforcement. And that's yeah. what that's the problem. So we got to change the way we look at these things holistically from the legislative standpoint to get to that point where we can protect people, protect patients, advance patient rights, advance patients knowledge um, on how they can use cannabis to, to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. And I know that I know that Gretchen is not here today. There's something that she always brings up and it's something I read yesterday um, about um, uh, folks in Congress. They don't know shit. They don't know. Yeah. In, they don't know any of this stuff. Yeah. Well, and, I, I don't. It's, be, it's, beca well, it's because of the lack of the money. It's, a, it's because, unfortunately, it's because of the lack of the money coming from the cannabis. I, I think it's a lack of a care. Of issues. I, I think they just don't give a shit. No. To be honest, the, no, the research is there. They, and they, they don't. They don't care because there's no money being be, right. be, all being all money. sent their way. Like yeah, they, they, all the machine is not getting the proper fuel that That's is right. dollar bills. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, when we look back on we look back on we look back on all this, man, we wouldn't be where we were, uh, where we are today without cannabis being medicine, mm -hmm. period. We wouldn't I, have I a agree. quote unquote industry if it weren't for medicine, if it weren't for Sanjay Gupta finally having his watershed moment. We wouldn't be having any of these conversations, you know, and that's even more recent. So yeah, why then, are we continuing to fight over like the money side of it? Because. Medicine in America is run by money. 
right. I'm, 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 should there should there be an should should there be an extra research tax added to everybody's bill, or should no, they just take the money out of the current taxes? taxes. No, I, I no, see the comments. No, no, no. We no we, more taxes. What what, what what I agree with Anna. We that we need to there needs to be concerted effort to keep small craft growers alive. That that those that really care about the plant and making sure that patients have access to true medicine. And doing the research, like letting letting the patients, what we've been doing so far, we know that can, that um, cannabis kills cancer cells. We don't need a, a petri dish to tell us that shit. So it's like let let the let the patients do the research. Let them just be the market research for what this plant can actually do, and and make sure they have access to good, safe medicine. But but because our industry doesn't have the money to put forth to the FDA, we can't legally say that. And <laughs> we can't and legally and say everything that cannabis can do that we all know that it can do. We can't legally say you can't legally promote any of that stuff. Right. Because the research because of right? money. The white papers no, that aren't no, from the United no, States, though, because the research is there. It's because of NIDA. And on that, we got to go to a commercial. We're going to be right. Back. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. You know what time it is. That's right. It's Tuesday over here at Green Street, and we got Smokey Vanilla with us in the building. So that's right. It is time to stretch and smoke. We just got done smoking. Now we're going to stretch it out, and then we're going to smoke again. Let's go. I'm Smokey Vanilla with my background in kinesiology and bodywork massage and assisted stretching. You got to come check it out, baby. Check me out on IG at Smokey Vanilla One Stretch and Smoke, Twitter Smokey Vanilla, Social Club Stretch and Smoke, or also on Sports Recovery by Dan and Jam. If you want to feel as good as I look, then make sure that you get a stretch and smoke in with Smokey Vanilla. Yeet! Oh yeah, y'all know who it is coming up next. The industry's longest continuously operating retailer, the self-proclaimed highest Republican in the game, known for smoking on the best weed in the world. West Hollywood's president of cannabis tourism and the most stretched out man in the building. Jason, back. That didn't sound good. <laughs> oh yeah. Can you guys smoke? Right? Is, is, yeah, yeah. Is smoky vanilla could be coming over to the vortex today, Jason. What's going on? Oh, slow down, guys. I got I got a big story for you guys. Okay, you guys it's are Tuesday. gonna love. It. Oh man, let me tell you something about Tuesdays. Okay, because Governor Hochul, that's right in New York, she just signed legislation to crack down on a, the illegal cannabis market. You guys, get ready for this. Governor Kathy Hochul signed a bill cracking down on the illegal cannabis market in New York State as part of a newly enacted budget. According to the state, the legislation allows the Office of Cannabis Management to curb the sale of cannabis from unlicensed storefronts and trucks across the state. In a quote, as New York State continues to roll out a nation-leading model, get out of here, to establish its cannabis <laughs> industry, these critical enforcement measures will protect New Yorkers from illicit, unregulated sales, Governor Hochul said. Unlicensed dispensaries violate our laws, put public health at risk, and undermine the legal cannabis market. With these enforcement tools, we're paving the way for safer products, reinvestment in communities, and in that, that endured years of disappropriate enforcement and greater opportunities for New Yorkers. 
The office can now assess penalties against unlicensed cannabis businesses with fines up to $20,000 per day. This legislation also makes it a crime to sell marijuana or marijuana products without a license. Well, 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 New York, if you really think $20,000 a day is going to close down what you guys have allowed to flourish, you've got another thing coming, and I think you're in for a long, long line at the collection windows with nobody showing up. But this is Jason Beck reporting for Hyatt 9 News, and I want to see what y'all have to say about this. Well, I think it's good in theory if they actually do something, right? But uh, New York's a mess. Let me tell you something, Todd. These little bodegas, okay, you know what's going to happen is they may get the $20,000 fine, then they're going to file for that business for bankruptcy, and then they're going to start a brand new business in the same place, in the same location, same everything, and then they're going to have to come and do it all again. This is a total whack-a-mole game. This is just going to be a nightmare for this. I had so much hope in New York and the way they were going to do things like before they opened up and they're just following the same playbook as Los Angeles, yeah, <laughs> as I California. I think they're following a worse playbook, Rico, because at least, at least California had a number of dispensaries open and these guys are just going and only have four dispensaries <laughs> open currently for New York. And just like, are you, are you, are you serious? $20,000 a day? Yeah. Oh, you're not going to hear anybody with that. You know at, what? Until, at, at all, like they, they try to do that here. Yeah, until until they until they start charging people criminally, um, ain't, ain't nothing going to scare anybody civilly. That's right. Um, right. And and not especially when they're making all that tax free money. <laughs> like a yes. fine is nothing, and they are obviously fueling the market right now in New York. Like nobody is going to pay twenty percent, yeah. twenty dollars extra for the same amount of weed down the street at one of their four dispensaries that are actually regulated and legal, then all of, why would you walk past six shops <laughs> to go pay extra <laughs> at the shop that's at the end of the block? It doesn't make sense. I think this mm-hmm. is uh, Kathy Hochul just doing something to say that she's trying to do yeah. something yeah. to appease a lot of the naysayers there. But well, I'm pretty sure that there's no way that they don't know that this is not going to work. Let's be honest. It could have been worse. She could have said, we we are gearing up, stop and frisk again. We're coming in. We're arresting everybody. Like, it could have been worse. You know, the, that's the, the next step. Stop and frisk has already been cleared uh, because, like, like I said this a million times before, Eric Adams, he the same day that he said he's not going to prosecute, that we're not going to be doing this, blah, 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 blah. The same day he opened, he reopened broken windows policies rudy Giuliana giuliani era stop and frisk that is available today all he has to do is flip that switch and that's what the next step is watch mm-hmm. yeah they're, they're they're new york ain't going to be able to go after anybody in this they're going to try to close down the whole city they're going to try to make it a i don't even want to i don't even want to say the words on on youtube but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it could have been worse is no defense for bad legislation. No, you're right. You're absolutely right, Todd. That's a good point. Uh, Kathy Hochul, law and order. Yeah, <laughs> yeah law and order. <laughs> I mean, New York is such, such, such like the true definition of a true freedom market. Like, they, I, I don't, I don't, $20,000, I, 
stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You have the places like that Jungle Boy shop that's right next to City Hall. They've already raided that place three times or more, and they're still still open. No problem. Still operating. No one's worried. Yeah, their um, actions, their government actions have basically zero teeth. It's like it's like someone with just gums trying to bite your finger off. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes no teeth is good, Jason. That sounds like that sounds like it's more of a Florida policy than a New York policy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's more of an Atlantic City policy. Okay. Oh my gosh. That was, that was good. That was good. All right. All right. I mean, uh, what do you think about this, Todd? Like, what do you what are you thinking that um, do you think is the right move for Hochul and company? Do you think it's going to be effective at all? No, it will not be effective at all. Just like it was not effective in uh, Los Angeles, like we were spoke about a second ago. You know, it, it's literally what was happening in L.A. You know, in the very beginning of uh, of uh, legalization, where all of these dispensaries that were unlicensed were popping up everywhere. They'd get closed down by the local cops. And then they'd reopen, you know, a week later. Uh, the same thing is going to happen. And like Nicole said, 20 grand is not going to deter someone when they're making 50 grand a day, you know, selling illegal weed. Yeah. So, um, you know, I like again, it's just a bad legislation once again um, to make the announcement that makes it seem like they're doing something. Right. I like oh, well, you know, politicians and pandering, Todd. You know, yes, I do. <laughs> yes. Yes. I never did. I, 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 li- I like the comment Justin Benson said. He says, uh, "Oh, sorry, the owner isn't is not here. Please come back." Right. It's going to be like oh, what is it like back in 2017, 20, 2018 here, where you're just going to have a bunch of bud tenders uh, stretched out on the floor, them getting searched and everything, them getting arrested, right. and no owners are ever going to be in sight. Yeah, ever, and and they're going to these owners are all drunk. How how uh how long did it take Jason for all of the trap shops in LA to close down? I mean, it, it had to take years, right? Like they're it's five, we're five down. years. On, they're, still, they're still five. There's we're they're, five they're years still deep, there. and they're still yeah. around. So yeah, it's uh, again. They're still yeah. around. Still popping. Wait, still, still I've trapping. Never been, ever. I've never been to a trap um spot in LA. They're still around. Oh, maybe next, when you come maybe in, next when you time when you. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna take you on a field trip. <laughs> yeah, Jason can take you on the trap shop tour. Oh man, that's a great idea. Trap, trap yes, I'm gonna tour. go. <laughs> Say that three times fast. Nicole, and maybe you will. It's really, there's some really nice, there's some really nice ones too. Okay, like, so I'll, I'll let you know when I come back, and we'll definitely have to do a field trip. Yes, I'm with indeed. it. I'm with it. I'm with it. Uh, we're going to go to a commercial, though. That was fun. We'll be right back. Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local, and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices. Is- happened it cut short i don't know it, the internet didn't like that for keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevance <laughs> i guess <laughs> and kathy hoshel down omar figueroa law 
<laughs> yeah, no, they're not feeling that commercial today. But uh, make, whatever you're doing, make sure. <laughs> what? They don't want Omar, Fig- uh, uh, Omar Figueroa defending the trappers out there, man. Okay. They don't. They don't. They definitely. They want to. They want to keep good lawyers away. They don't want you to know about them, apparently. But uh, whatever you're doing, make sure that you pound that like button. Hit. Make sure you've hit that subscribe button if you haven't already to Hyatt Nine News. Also, to make sure you're heading over to our website, sign up for that newsletter. Uh, make sure you enter in your email. All that good good fun stuff information and also remember you will get a confirmation email and it'll probably end up in your junk box and you need to hit confirm on that piece of email in your junk box if you want to actually get our newsletter uh and last but not least of course make sure you head over to our website and check out our merch we have a ton of great selections of merchandise for you to check out so then you can get high at nine with us and be fashionably fitted properly (laughs) let's see if this next ad works adam control tower from highly educated has perfected the dab utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation you can waste none of it and t- clearly there's a playback yep, they're hating, they're hating. <laughs> yeah they're hating on highly educated today too i don't know what happened i guess they only so far like smoky vanilla they want us to be dumb <laughs> i mean who no sorry sorry guys. sorry you guys don't get all those commercials today but uh, glitch in the matrix. Yeah, Rico, you want to introduce our next our next speaker? I guess I can. Here we go. All <laughs> right, that's what we're talking. About. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. But was this? Uh, you should stay ready. Been, you should already be ready. Updated. The sheet's not updated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You should, you should already have been ready. I, I'm gonna just go into it for you. Uh, oh, there we go. You got it. Rico, you losing it? I thought you said really. She is. She is (laughs) huge advocate. She is a plant patient advocate, a huge supporter of the color purple, and she is also the national director of all things. (laughs) Like obviously, I don't have my script in front of me right here, but uh, she is one of my favorite people in the world. A huge supporter of cannabis advocates activists across the board and she is opening our eyes to all things that are going on in the world and um huge uh, proponent of medical in hawaii as well come to the stage next it is the was it the encyclopedia on wednesday mornings power 88 las vegas our very own nicole buffong Okay, Rico, thank you so much. All right. Jason folks. needs to update the damn script over here. So <laughs> I what do you mean? It's 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 been updated. Hey guys, let's get into it. All right. So I, I appreciate yeah. it. Love you both. All right. She the, my story comes from the onefeather.com. Um, and its title is Chief Sneed issues vetoes on cannabis legislation. Tribal Council upholds vetoes. Um, So this is happening in Cherokee, North Carolina, a month after Tribal Council approved $64 million for the Koala Enterprises LLC medical cannabis business. The legislation approving the monies has been vetoed. Principal Chief Richard G. Sneed sent a letter to Tribal Council Chairman Richard French on Wednesday, May 3rd, issuing a veto on resolution number 496, which was approved by Council on Thursday last month in April. 
The money was to come from the tribe's investment accounts and general fund and was to be used for operational costs, including staffing, increased infrastructure at its growth site, and to finish a retail facility. During its regular session on Thursday, um, May 4th, council heard and upheld Chief Sneed's veto by a vote of 67 to 26. In this veto letter, Chief Sneed wrote, as I have stated many times before, I support the medical cannabis program and the tribe's efforts to build a cultivation facility and medical cannabis dispensary. I was one of the people who helped to get the needed legislation passed to launch the operation. And I have ratified previous resolutions that resulted in the cannabis program receiving $31 million in funding from the tribe. He then outlined his reasoning for the veto in three points. First, he noted the National Indian Gaming Commission, the federal regulatory body tasked with oversight of all Indian gaming in the United States, has released a memo stating IGR, Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, restricts the use of net gaming revenues to five categories and may not be used to fund an illegal enterprise. The cultivation, sale, and possession of cannabis is illegal under federal law, and therefore, net gaming revenue should not be used to finance such an operation. I have to insert here the words of my fellow correspondent, Rico Lamite, follow the money, because then Chief Sneed added, while it remains to be seen what action the NIGC might take in response to a tribe using net gaming revenue for such an enterprise, I, for one, am not willing to risk hefty fines or the possibility of our casinos being shut down for violating NIGC regulations. Secondly, he stated, to date, there has been no accounting for the millions of dollars expended thus far. As I have stated repeatedly in both open and closed sessions of council, each elected official at the tribe has a fiduciary responsibility to ensure that the assets of the tribe are being properly account accounted for and that waste, fraud, and abuse are not occurring. Lastly, Chief Sneed wrote, the fact that, his pro that this project original cost for an outdoor grow, an indoor grow, and a dispensary was $50 million, and we are now being told it is $95 million, demonstrates that there is an immediate need for a full accounting of the money that has been expended to date. So um, I, I think that uh, this is interesting. I think that this, this tribe in Cherokee, North Carolina, could learn a thing or two from some tribes in Nevada and California and what they've done with cannabis and Canada. Um, and so um, I, I'm a little disappointed uh, by, you know, them not taking more of an initiative to really want to introduce uh, medical cannabis to their community um, and, and really fight for it, um, maybe find funding from somewhere else. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if the Paiute tribe here in Nevada has uses um, has casinos or used revenue from from casinos to actually open up um, their, their, I mean, their dispensaries here. I don't know, but I would imagine a lot of these tribes, that's where they're getting their monies from because that's where they've generated revenue from for the last couple of decades. Um, and so this is just interesting. It's the first time I'm hearing it, um, that this excuse is being made on why they are not gonna um, open up that opportunity to, to their land. So this is Nicole Buffon reporting from Hyatt Nine News. I'd love to hear what my correspondents think about this story. Uh, do do we know where where this tribe is located at, Nicole? Um, this is in um, North Carolina, Cherokee. North, right. In where? Oh, yes. Carolina, Cherokee. No, North Carolina. Carolina. <clears throat> tobacco country. Yeah. Yes. Big tobacco country is probably they don't want to 
they don't want to have to deal with the federal government at all with them trying to come onto their property and take their plants. Yeah, but don't all of these tribes risk happy. that? They're, yes. they're, I mean, all of these tribes, that's not what they're saying. His biggest concern, you heard him, his biggest concern is that, that the, the act that was drafted says you cannot use revenue from their illegal. casinos to fund an illegal operation or business. Right, right. And considering that- Yeah. Can they use and cigarette money? Because that's where they make their money, right? Cigarettes and gambling. I mean, the land, that's what they've been using it for. I'm going to bet that the cigarette money is commingled in with the casino money, Todd. Well, I'm, I'm probably. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the I'm way they're going to catch them is something financial for sure. That's definitely what they're going to hold their feet. But I have a question, like, um, you know, with regards to reservations and regards to, like, cannabis, you know, cultivation, you know, don't they have kind of the – don't they have, like, the the most, like – or the best chance rather to like actually have some kind of federal um, kind of leeway with cannabis at the end of the day, when all this stuff ends up getting promulgated to the level of, you know, interstate commerce, aren't those guys, the ones, because they're actually regulated federally. Right. So they don't even, they're, they're kind of autonomous in that respect to the state, but you know, the federal government actually has direct um, you know, a direct line with them. So I would be interested to kind of know how that shapes up for, you know, some of these reservations in Nevada and California, like you said, Nicole, um, I, 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 you know, obviously just the, the history with all those um, reservations is pretty, um, you know, pretty interesting and muddy. But I, I would I would think that there there would be a case to say, hey, these reservations actually have like, you know, the, the first they could be the first ones on the on the, you know, on the kind of the block there to get that. Um, going. So so what's interesting is um here in Nevada, Nuwu, um, which is owned by Paiute Tribe Council, um, which manages and, and owns the land, um, they were the first consumption lounge in the state. Why? Because they can do what they want in yeah. on their land, right? And so they were very instrumental in in you know reporting to the CCB on how they you know what their SOPs were for a consumption lounge when when we were still in the process of planning an actual consumption lounge here in Nevada. So you know, I would imagine that if if there was some issue with how and they were able to fund a dispensary or get into the cannabis space that those tribal land that because it's not just here in Nevada um, that I know plenty of tribal dispensaries all over the country that won't well, not plenty but a handful that actually are, are already operating have been operating kind of on their own um, yeah they're so, they're operating technically on federal land so if we're, yeah. if we're you know if we're being like if we're just looking at it you know at, at its base level which obviously there's so much depth there and I'm not going to get into the weeds but it's like they're already growing weed on federal land you know, so right. so is that is that a case? And, you know, I don't know how far we are from like things like interstate commerce, but I know that like there's laws that are being, you know, promulgated through like the Senate getting shot down by the governors of these certain states. But at the same time, there's they're already happening. The conversation is starting. It's just a, a matter of time. But it's like if I if, if I was a if I was a betting man, I'd say that, uh, you know, the reservations and the, and the Indian tribes have probably uh cause to go at the uh, federal government first um, to try to get a seat at the table per se. I don't know about all that, but I'll tell you, I bet you, I bet you that this, uh, that this chief is just chiefing up a storm 
okay, in regards to this, because I'm not buying that that's the reason why. I'm betting that there's some underlying reason that there's some there's some tribal elder or something that he is behedging to that does not want to move forward on this, and so he's coming up <laughs> with this plausible way to deny the money. And what, what gives you what gives you that standpoint, Jason? What makes you think that? Because that's that that's that that's what that's what I'm hearing in this whole story. That's that that's my conclusion. <laughs> is it is making up as an excuse to for whatever reason? Who knows what it is? But it's a total excuse, total total little little pansy reason as to why he doesn't want to use that money for that. So you don't think the elders want to grow cannabis and sell cannabis? Yeah, I'm that. Well, that's that that that's the only thing that 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 I can see why why the chief because ultimately the chief is in power, right? And or maybe maybe there's some other uh, boards members uh, on on the tribal council that that will remove him if he does this. I I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't I I I don't, I don't believe his answer. I don't believe his answer is truthful. I believe that there's some underlying things going on within the tribal community that is not allowing this to happen. Not necessarily his fear. Tribal politics are not uh, do not necessarily reflect American politics. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is a community, and if he doesn't think that this is the best deal, the best way for them to go forward, and uh, their community doesn't think that as well, that's 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 within their rights. Oh. Look, 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 here's another conspiracy theory for you here. Benson thinks that he already embezzled the money, so that's why he can't use it for this. <laughs> well, let's not let's let's just stick to the facts. Um, yeah, this is, this is what he this is what he put in a letter. He made it very clear that it was his fear of losing the money, losing their license for, for the casino, which is obviously a major revenue generator for the tribe. And so that was what put a stop. I mean, it, like you said, he initially was all for medical cannabis. He was all for it. Um, he understood the need for it, but he had to take a step back. Um, so somebody is obviously in his ear. Um, and, and like I said, I'm just wondering, I can't believe none of these other tribes anywhere else across the country have thought about that or considered right. that and said, oh, this is the reason we're not moving forward. I, I find that hard to believe because that affects all of them because all of them are under the same you know regulations and you know, regulation someone definitely threatened in my opinion he got punked or when it comes to cannabis either though so we have to consider that too no when yeah we, to we, anything we talked to, we, we talk to anything right yeah uh they are um however with uh like the story that i covered last month with altria formerly philip philip morris and uh i'm having the worst sales since 1978 they're going to be moving towards cannabis now. They even said that on their last earnings call. So um, I think we're going to see uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, all those states. They're going to start moving a lot quicker towards whatever they deem appropriate as, uh, as far as legalization. Because they're not making money off those crops like they, uh, that they could before. I mean... Um, I think we'll PD Pablo. I think PD Pablo needs to come out with a, with a new remix. Really come on, does. North Carolina, come on and blaze up! Uh. Yeah, he needs something like that. That's that's for that, sure. That, that was terrible. Don't don't hate Rico. Come on, don't hate. Let's bring PD Pablo out of retirement, dog. Come on, brother. This guy stinks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you think, Adam? You think we, you think we can try another commercial again? You think the commercial gods will be friendly to us? 
Let's, Let's see. All right, we're gonna see. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple? Yeah, oh, sorry. I don't, Not today. It was a little better. Yeah, it was a little <laughs> better. I don't know. Not today. To, to, to the toe in the water. <laughs> Not today. Little commercial tease. The YouTube yeah, gods are not shining we're, upon us on this beautiful Tuesday morning. Bastards. No, we're, we're trying, though. We are we are trying. Coming up next, though, also, too, from Las Vegas. Man, we get a Vegas day over here on Tuesdays. I feel like we should be throwing some dice or something. But instead yep, of yep. throwing dice, we're going to throw Todd Denkin back up on the stage next. He's the founder of DigiPath Labs, where you need to go for all your testing out there in Nevada. And oh man, he is the eccentric voice that all the ladies love to listen to on High at Nine News. That's right, it's Mr. <laughs> Todd Dankin. Thank you, thank you. Wait a second, all the ladies like to listen. Well, hello, ladies. That's what, that's what, that's what we hear in the streets. <laughs> they love well, that liquid well, gold nice. voice of yours, man. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Um, my story is from uh, cannabis.net as, uh, you know, the feds won't legalize marijuana, but you can now smoke weed and work federal jobs at the FBI, the ATF and the Secret Service. So as the workforce undergoes a generational shift with older generations more aligned with Nancy Reagan's ideology retiring, the government and employers are compelled to bring in younger workers. These recruits grew up in an era where cannabis is perceived as a medical and relatively harmless way to unwind and enhance one's life. Regardless of their personal opinions, the federal authorities and employers are aware of the poll, resulting that over 50% of Americans use and support cannabis legalization. While medical marijuana use is legal in 38 states and Washington, D.C., and recreational use is permitted in 22 states. Despite this, the situation is paradoxical as cannabis remains illegal under federal law. To clarify, the government has not authorized its employees to use cannabis. So what exactly is changing? Well, the FBI, the CIA, and military are relaxing cannabis-related policies. In the past, simply admitting to cannabis use would disqualify individuals from numerous federal jobs. However, now agencies are relaxing their policies regarding prior marijuana usage. According to the New York Times, 3,400 newly enlisted military personnel who tested positive for drugs on their first day were granted a second chance in the last five years. Additionally, everybody's favorite president, President Biden, is anticipated to discontinue scrutinizing applicants' historical cannabis use when applying for security clearances. Traditionally, the CIA advised potential applicants to abstain from cannabis use for at least a year before submitting their application. However, in April 2020, they reduced this period to just 90 days. Similarly, the FBI reduced its abstinence requirement from three years to a year in 2021. Ironically, the Office of Personal Management has decided to cease categorizing individuals with a history of cannabis usage as security risks. This has simplified the security clearance screening process. Presently, one must disclose any illegal drug use in the past seven years to apply for security clearance. This is done in detail, similar to 
Scientology's practice of forcing new members to confess wrongdoing. However, the updated regulations would shorten this timeline to five years. Concerning cannabis, job applicants must only report any usage within 90 days before applying. This acknowledges the comparatively lower risk associated with cannabis usage than other drugs. Interestingly, though, the federal government classifies cannabis as a Schedule One drug and cocaine as a Schedule Two drug. This means the government's official stance is that cocaine is less dangerous than cannabis. Between 2018 and 2022, the Army excused over 3,300 recruits who failed a drug test or confessed to past drug use. Among the military branches, the Army appears to be the most lenient. The Navy has historically adopted a zero-tolerance policy for recruits who failed the drug test. However, they recently began allowing recruits to take a second test after 90 days if they failed the initial one. The Air Force and the Marine Corps have also followed suit by offering second chances to recruits. The federal government must contend with the private sector in the current job market following the COVID-19 pandemic. With many individuals working from home, they have the flexibility to keep their weed nearby for a quick boost of energy if needed. The pandemic and the resulting economic crisis compelled authorities to loosen their stringent policies However, whether they will eventually recognize that even their newfound leniency is outdated remains to be seen. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives makes new policy change. The ATF has revised its hiring policy to ensure that candidates who have cultivated, produced, or distributed marijuana in adherence to state regulations while serving in a public responsibility role will no longer be automatically disqualified. However, those who engaged in such activities defying state cannabis regulations will not be considered. The recent change in policy by the Federal Law Enforcement Agency is noteworthy. This is because it explicitly distinguishes applicants who followed state legislation laws regarding cannabis and those who engaged in illicit cannabis-related activities. This distinction is particularly significant given the, the continuing federal prohibition of marijuana. The federal government has claimed that its drug laws override state laws for years. However, the ATF, under the Department of Justice, has introduced a new employment policy distinguishing legal and illegal marijuana activities in states. Under the new employment policy of the ATF, applicants who have participated in state legal cannabis activities will no longer be automatically disqualified. But it's still possible for them to be denied employment, especially if the activity occurred while serving in a, position, in a position of public responsibility. The employment policies in many industries, from federal agencies to private firms, continue to impact changing attitudes regarding cannabis usage and legalization significantly. While some businesses are still catching up with the times, others are starting to understand that they must change to remain competitive in the labor market. Amazon, for example, takes a progressive stance, and they suggest that it's the Amazon suggests that its smaller business associates managing delivery vehicles refrain from screening drivers for cannabis consumption. In June 2021, the major retail corporation declared that it would alter its drug testing protocol for U.S. field operation units and in various circumstances would no longer conduct screenings for marijuana. Dave Clark, who is a retail executive at Amazon, said, Similar to several other employers in the past, we have previously denied employment opportunities to individuals at Amazon based on testing positive for cannabis use. 
Nevertheless, considering the recent development of state laws throughout the U.S., Amazon has decided to alter its approach. The company will no longer incorporate cannabis in their all-encompassing drug testing program for any positions that the Department of Transportation does not regulate. They will treat cannabis akin to alcohol consumption. As additional states legalize cannabis for medical and recreational uses in the future, it will be interesting to see how employment policies change. If the federal government eventually implements it, comparable procedures are still available. The debate over marijuana use and how it affects the workplace, however, is far from over. I'm Todd Dankin with High 9 News. And uh, Jason, are you excited? You can finally apply for a job at the ATF. <laughs> Alphabet boy. Or you mean the ATF can actually fire, finally hire me now? Is that what you really That's mean? right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we. Uh, this is this is really this this has been trending for a while with uh with a number of different federal departments. I know the FBI had 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 a hard time hiring uh, hackers and whatnot that didn't have cannabis in them, so they were saying how they needed to change their policy. So I'm I'm glad to see that this has been been finalized. And th- is this for all governmental agencies? And is there a listing of how high your clearance can go? Like how high you can actually get in one of these job positions? Well, it says that um, uh, all federal jobs uh, at the FBI, the ATF, and the Secret Service. So you can be a Secret Service officer and still be, um, you know, ducking in the car to, you know, do a little bong hit. I wonder if they did put put CIA because they knew that if you were smoking, then that would that would uh, ruin your disguise because people would be should be able to find you if you're smoking that good good. Well, CIA. Uh-huh. <laughs> CIA is not not supposed to be operating on U.S. soil, right? It doesn't matter about U.S. soil. That's not the point. They, they just rebranded. They just rebranded the NSA. Right? It's okay, Rico. Right. Yeah. yeah. Be rebranded, right? right. <laughs> rebranding. <laughs> rebranding. <laughs> no, man. I, I think, yeah, they are trying to um, eat their cake. They're trying to have their cake and eat it, too, uh, with this one. I know that they're uh, inching towards federal legalization here. And all of that, but uh, how are you going to be enforcing laws that you don't even have to adhere to yourself? Um, I yeah, think right. that they should not be able, they shouldn't be able to, they shouldn't be allowed to uh, consume any of this shit. And so we can dwindle their numbers down. Less of our tax dollars paid towards their salaries and we have less enforcement. Problem solved. Yeah, and then you have anarchy like what's going on in the streets of these cities today. But actually, you have like all that unrest and shit in, in areas where you have more enforcement. Yeah, we're not. We're not going to show. Yeah, tell I, the I, truth. Yeah, I, I have police areas have more civil unrest. I, I'm I'm happy now, now. Now, hopefully, too, maybe these government agencies can get more stoners in there, and they things can get a little bit lax. For legalize it first. Fuck that. I want my cops following the same rules. Legalization is about descheduling, Rico. Without descheduling. All of your hopes and dreams are only. Not gonna, it's not going to. Rico just, Rico just, just wants to smoke blunt. a blunt with the cops. That's really what he's saying. He's really just saying he wants to pass the blunt to a public. Legalize it. If I can have a beer with a cop, I should be able to smoke a joint with a cop. You should. All right, hundred percent. You should. Let me let me let me tell you. Let me tell you something. I have let a second, single brother. Okay, you guys are going to find this extremely extremely interesting. Okay, I could not pass this up when I saw this. Gang violence could en- could end open cannabis trade in an anarchist commune named Christina. What do you think about that, Rico? <laughs> the 40-year-old history of the open cannabis trade on Pusher Street. Uh, uh, hey, hold on, hold on. Oh, we, we still got some on, man. 
Oh, we have some on? <laughs> it's okay. I, it's okay. It's okay. He's already here. It's okay. I'll laugh. Oh, sure. no commercials has you. Wow. <laughs> I'm next. He's a, he's a dope dad, student, and true believer in the medical properties of cannabis. And over the last 15 years, helped develop products in Colorado, California, Florida, Massachusetts, and New Jersey. Coming up next is not Jason Beck. It is Saman well, I have a story out of Missouri. I'll try to go fast so we can hear the rest of Jason's story there. Uh, <laughs> but marijuana industry in Missouri, uh, I'm sorry, marijuana, this is for marijuana moment, by the way. Uh, marijuana industry, Missouri regulators at odds over rules targeting packaging aimed at children. Here we go again. Jefferson City, the labels and packaging for marijuana related products shall not be made attractive to children, in quotes, the Missouri Constitution states. That's why state regulators are proposing requiring plain or uniform labeling similar to those of cigarettes or medicines, said Amy Moore, director of Missouri's cannabis regulation under the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. During a hearing Monday with the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules, no pun intended, Moore said studies show the plain packaging increases, increases attention to the perceptions of harm and reducing social appeal among adolescents. Yet the rule is getting staunch opposition from the Missouri Cannabis Trade Association, which represents cannabis professionals that said it would be unduly burdensome uh, and not responsible to require businesses to create new labels. Down the beer aisle, the craft beer delivers, uh, delivers these cool and interesting designs, said the association's attorney, Eric Walter. Cool colors are attractive to everyone, not just children. The label change isn't a surprise to companies, Moore said, because DH, DHSS has already told them there would be changes to labeling re regulations once the constitutional amendment legalizing recreational cannabis passed in November. Think about the cereal aisle versus tobacco packaging or over-the-counter medicines, Moore said. I'm skeptical of the association's skepticism about whether the concept of color for packaging being attracted to children is really at issue. We know it's true. I can tell you my five-year-old's favorite color right now is rainbow. The label changes among the, sev the several changes, including video surveillance and increased accountability during events organized by cannabis companies. Last week, the trade association sent, uh, sent a searing 46-page letter to committee members saying some of the proposed rules would cause financial hardships on businesses and were recklessly conceived. During Monday's hearing, lawmakers had more I'm sorry. During Monday's hearing, lawmakers had more respond point by point to the association's concern mentioned in her letter, which led to four hours of questions from both Democrats and Republicans who were largely defending the association's position. Walter was allowed to rebuttal to, to every argument Moore made. What we're representing today, we've got 14 provisions that we view as very problematic and very costly to our industry, Walter said. In his opening statement, Moore's expensive product, more expensive product means a percentage of all those people don't buy from the regulated market. They go to the illicit market. Obviously, the goal would be to drive down the prices and have the people buy from them and the regulated market. Also, in his opening statement, Walter applauded DHSS, saying they've done a great job in regulating the industry. This tone today is very different from the tone of the letter that was sent to you all at, that were received on Friday, Moore said. While we have not always agreed in the past and certainly have different interests, 
they have con consistently described us as unusually accessible, responsive, competent, and collaborative. Moore said the association's letter was misleading. DHSS has made many concessions, she said, and tried to make as little financial impact to businesses as possible while still meeting constitutional requirements for health and public safety. Among those requirements is video surveillance, she said. Under the proposed rules, companies are required to have electronic video monitoring with high-definition cameras throughout the building that can be accessed remotely. Moore said video is specifically required under the Constitution. After hearing the business's concern, the agency decreased the number of camera required, cameras required, she said, but that meant that they could no longer allow motion-censored video systems. Walter argued motion-censored video systems are more cost-effective, but Moore said they are not as effective, especially if there are going to be fewer cameras and they are trying to ensure products aren't getting out into the illicit market. The question is, the question is whether it's unduly burdensome, Moore said, and we are weighing public safety, product safety, health, and safety risk of those products. In a separate issue, Moore gave an example of the owners of a cannabis company being in the midst of a heated dispute. One owner locks out the other to remove equipment that the state has inspected and improved. That's why DHSS included the sentence in its new regulation saying the department may restrict or suspend the operation of a facility license until the dispute is resolved or it may deny a pending application. Representative Peter Meredith, Democrat from St. Louis, said, I'm struggling to see why you should be able to suspend simply because you're concerned about a dispute possibly impacting operations. Excuse me. Moore responded that almost everything in operation has a health or a safety impact. If we find that the owner dispute is, impair is impairing that in some way that is to be covered by safety rule elsewhere, she said, we need to be able to take action without jumping to suspension or revocation of a license. Moore also said that she's seen other state regulations and they have much more stringent, they're much more stringent than Missouri's. A lot of what we're discussing today is the balance between having overly detailed or burdensome regulations, she said. Balancing that with a legitimate state interest or of, public, of ensuring public safety and security of facilities. Senator Nick Shore of O'Fallon, uh, I'm sorry, an O'Fallon Republican, I don't even know what that means, Jason, you might, uh, and the chair of the committee encouraged DHSS and the association to come to a compromise this week on the rules. Our authority lapses on Friday, he said, so we're going to try to find, room, find a room Thursday, come back, discuss the vote if necessary. And that's Saman Razani reporting for High Nine News. Guys, what do you think about this Missouri business? I think it's some BS, some absolute BS. And um, if they're going to come at <clears throat> people saying that these products are, are aimed at children, are you going to separate the medical from the adult use? Because I'm pretty sure there's plenty, plenty, plenty of medicine that is, uh, has packaging aimed directly at children when it comes to And tobacco alcohol. products. Yep. Sure. I mean, I, I mean, look, Adderall like, like tobacco, let's not even talk about right. tobacco. Let's talk about the crap that we're feeding the kids. Let's talk about all the cereal, all this crazy stuff. Like what? Not, why are we, why are we saying that's okay? All the sugar, that part. BS, you know? That, that yeah. Part. Like, like, I mean the, the tobacco and the, and the, even like whatever vitamins. Okay. We're not even going to like get on the vitamin kick right now, but like just being like, you know, just the obvious easy thing to do is what we've created for parents for families and it's creating you know long-term health effects down the line so is cannabis really public enemy number one 
or is, you know, the stuff that we're putting in our bodies food wise, public enemy number one? I think that should be really the question. And uh, if, if they're going to, you know, if we want to start beating down that door, I know it's going to come with a lot more, you know, drama. But at the same token, it's like the cannabis industry, um, you know, as it increases its lobbying efforts, it needs to shed light on, on those things because it's just, uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Um, for us to be, you know, continuing on, on, on that line of consumerism, especially for, for kids, if we're really concerned about kids, because we all know that the concern isn't about kids. It's about restricting us. It's about hemming us up. It's about tying our laces together and watching us trip up and having to pay more money so that we can go out of business. And then these other bigger corporations can come in, swoop up all of our, our assets that are just distressed and uh, continue on the, the business path. Um, in their in their own fashion, and that's kind of what I see is always been uh, the the kind of the narrative with cannabis. Let's get these cannabis guys out so that these big corporations can take over. Yeah, and they I, want to control. I control. say f that. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's f all that about for control. sure. I mean, this is it, all this all this advertising kidron to children is just is just totally ridiculous to me. Um, I mean, kids aren't allowed in dispensaries. There's no state in the entire country that has a framework that allows for kids to come in dispensaries. And so just the fact that this is even a topic of conversation amongst the regulators is a total waste of our taxpaying dollars. For sure. Every yeah. second. Yeah, no, every you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, there's never been a bust for an under 21, you know, person in a dispensary in Nevada. Right. So well, it, they, it's, they an excuse. it's an excuse to come down on the industry to say, hey. The devil's lettuce shouldn't go to kids, right? right. They did um, that audit last year, right? And, and they said like they, they couldn't find any instances of like throughout the the, the national landscape, right? That any people under twenty one actually were able to get into dispensaries. So big shout out to the uh, to the legal dispensaries that are doing the right thing and not letting these folks in. They got to follow the damn rules, and they are. Yeah, it's uh, not worth losing the license just to uh, put some knucklehead into your into your shop, right? It's uh. It is. It's just the same thing like they're going through with cookies, how they think they're advertising to kids. It's just silly. Yes, it's BS. It's not. Yeah. And not only does it go against freedom of speech, not only does it go against like anything that all the money that people have to put into this industry in the legal space, like it just doesn't make sense. It's all a ruse. It is all a ruse from the right. Yes. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that comes up with all these crazy, crazy ass regulations on product packaging and all this. It all comes out of democratic cities and Democrats itself. All right. Oh, Where's the story coming out of? <laughs> Where's the story coming out of, Jason? Oh, uh, this one. Uh, this one, uh, this one this is coming from a far, far, far away land. Okay. But violent. <laughs> Could end end open cannabis trade in an anarchist commune named Christina. The 40-year-old history of the open cannabis trade on Pusher Street in the heart of the anarchist town Christina neighborhood of Copenhagen could be over as the city's mayor said she was willing to shut it down over the commune's fears about rising gang violence. Christina is a self-proclaimed autonomous commune in the Danish capital that has been allowed to effectively run itself as a social experiment since the 1970s, despite periodic threats of a cleanup by national governments. It is, it is, 
at its heart is Pusher Street, where stalls operated by locals openly sell cannabis, but ever-worsening violence in the Greenlight District has organized, has organized criminal gangs have moved in and vied for dominance has prompted growing concerns over resident safety. But the mayor of Copenhagen, Sophie Hasseltrop Anderson, has now warned of an interview or has warned in an interview with Extrata Bildet newspaper that the violence has to end and offered to close Pusher Street's drug drug trade down if the thousand people living in the Christina commune agree, Anderson said. They're not going to agree to that. Of course, this this, this is stupid. In a quote, (laughs) Anderson says, the violence and crime around Pusher Street has now reached a level where neither where where neither can nor or want to deal with it in Copenhagen. I believe we must have room for for Christina. It is both skewed and alternative. It's creative. But this harsh organized violence must be written out of the future around Christina. And another quote, that is why my message is also that if Christinians make it clear that they are ready to close Pusher Street and replace it with something else, then then we in the municipality of Copenhagen are ready to support putting together a plan to find out what should happen to the street. That's called gentrification right there. And this article goes on and on. We're, we're way past time, but they're trying to close Pusher Street down in the commune, the anarchist commune. What do you think about this being an anarchist? Okay. What, what, what are you thoughts? <laughs> Pusher I mean, Street is that is that really the name of the street? Pusher really Street, the name of the street. Pusher Street, where they open weed in the green autonomous zone. So wow. it's been happening. It's been going on for the last fifty years. Is this what you're telling me? And and they're and they're calling them anarchists now because they're trying to like govern themselves and they're trying to like you know do their own thing. I mean, in all reality, I mean, it's just uh, it's it's it seems like they're just doing their it's doing their government a favor by not making the cops go and uh, you know go in there and govern govern their christina city they're doing it themselves but i mean you know what are you gonna do these you know the the bloodlines of these people i mean we go way back leaf erickson shit guys come on this is like they're conquerors you know what i mean it's like you gotta just let them do their thing um are these people does it make these people christians oh no christianians said christianity yeah christianians Maybe they should pass a don't say weed law like the don't say gay law in Florida. Oh, here we go. (laughs) Don't plead for weed. It's time to wrap this up, Rico. We're way over. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brother, this guy stinks. (laughs) Thank you all out there for tuning in with us for yet another episode of High Nine News. You can always catch us weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific and High Noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fans showing love and support uh, to our live audience members, online supporters across all platforms, tuning in and giving us feedback on the daily headlines as we read them. Our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety of perspective and respected opinions to the conversation our production team cloud media partners house of fuego the wonderful jaja simone over in clubhouse holding things down and also 
all of our sponsors keeping the lights on here, even though um, you guys had half-assed commercials today. <laughs> We're faking that out. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but love going out to everybody out there, including uh, the haters. Keep doing what you do. Keep on doing what we do. I'm a super fan. I want to I see those big, big, big thoughts and, uh, and that, that big sensitivity on the big screen. So become a super fan. Give us some money, too. Always, Cannabis Sativa L, the reason why we show up every single day to read these headlines. It is Tuesday, May 9th, 2023 show is over. You've been blessed with the top headlines for our industry. Hope was enough to, for you to put in your pipe and smoke it, at least until tomorrow. Saman Razani, what you got for us? Take us out, man. Man, I just hope everyone has a positive week. Remember, we're all here. We're all in this together. Watch each other's backs and be positive. Respect.